Hi, I'm Alicia. And I'm Mizuki. And this is Plus 8-1. So today we'll be doing a little updated episode to go over. Um, <laughs> any updates we've had in the in the past few months since our episodes aired so um yeah we'd like to just go back to the topics that we've talked about see if there's anything of note yeah we started we started this podcast back in february so it's almost a year I, yeah we thought we'd just go over some updates from the episodes we've done over this year yeah so i guess we'll just go in chronological order so Mm -hmm. i think it would be helpful if you haven't listened to these episodes before to go maybe listen to them first and then hearing these updates those would make the most sense um but if you haven't listened to them that's also okay okay so this is from episode one Mm. visibility vulnerability and accountability foreign workers in japan part one and in this episode, we talked about uh, foreign workers, specifically about Brenda, who uh, was working in a Japanese company, but then they took her passport away so that she wouldn't run away, basically. So are there any updates on that? Um, yeah, so they actually were able to get her documents back from the the company that she was working for. So she got her passport and I think graduation certificate and things like that. But they never, um, like the company never admitted to doing anything wrong or that they were breaking the law or doing anything like unethical. And they also have refused to pay her unpaid wages and other damages that resulted from her not being able to work in Japan. So as we mentioned in the um, episode, um, she was only paid for, um, or she first of all, she was only paid a much smaller amount than she was expe- she was expected to be paid. And then um, they also never paid her last month or two months uh, wages because apparently she had or according to the company, she had quit abruptly, so they took that away from her. Um, and also because she is a non-Japanese citizen, she needs to have documents to work in Japan. So while she didn't have those documents, um, she couldn't work for those months, and they never paid for that, um, for, I guess, like the compensation loss she had experienced as a result of the actions of the company, which is called damages. Um, so... They, she still wants to um, sue the company for monetary compensation, so they're still in the courts for that. So I guess more updates to be continued. Um, I believe she's still in Japan, and she also has family in Japan, so I think she really wants to stay here. Uh, and was this after negotiations, or did they do a saibang? Um, they did a saibang. Um, so yeah, so now they're going to keep like appealing her case until... like they get her money back because right now they only got her documents back and taking away someone's passport is that still not is that still is that illegal or is that is are there no like laws on that yet um so there's no like laws like yet um especially like it depends on the kind of foreign worker 
that like you're dealing with but for example with like technical interns because there have been so many more scandals like as we'll like hear later in this episode there are a bit more protections for them that are like more specified um but with other workers like such as brenda like who's just kind of here on like a more regular visa um there aren't as many like stipulated laws um and i guess like this is kind of like an issue with japanese like legalese or like japanese legal language in general but like language is very vague or a lot of it's kind of like the company will do its best to do this or like we will try very hard to do that um but there's not really like binding language um so it's it's hard to like definitively say like no you were in the wrong in like japanese like legal circumstances so that's why they were able to say that or the company was able to say that they weren't breaking any laws by taking away her passport right yeah so yeah technically they haven't broken any laws because there are no laws but i think i still think that they have a good argument for the the monetary compensation that she hasn't been paid um, because those actually are wages that she earned but never received um and also i think they are the company is also liable for the amount of money the wages that she lost during the time that she didn't have her documents because she couldn't work because of the company right next one episode two technical interns foreign workers in japan part two uh any updates on the technical intern program yeah so um (laughs) i mean if you heard that episode um you know that the technical intern system was like such a mess um, from the beginning, but uh, with COVID, that really exacerbated the kind of um, like the holes in the system and like how just how much of a disadvantage these interns are in. Because the technical internship program is basically a system where companies can get uh, cheap labor from foreign workers, mm-hmm. right? Uh, under the pretense of it being like a training program for the workers but it's more it's mostly like just they're just there to work and for them to profit off of cheap labor yeah it's very much like it's not like an internship as like you would expect it to be it's much more kind of like a lot more like manual labor um yeah you're just there to work basically Mm -hmm. yeah so there haven't been any like sweeping changes to the system since like the new like the special skills worker system that was introduced Mm -hmm. uh i think in 2019 but with covid because there were some interns that couldn't return back to their country the government did create like a special visa system for technical interns who had to stay in japan uh, because of covid reasons and um under that visa they could continue working at their like previous or current uh work workplace and i was wondering if they qualified for the hundred thousand yen that all people in japan qualified for and i think i think from what i've read um they did qualify for the hundred thousand yen but if they were like registered as like students or like if their paperwork was like slightly different then i think they didn't quite qualify so I think the government meant to give them the 100,000 yen. <laughs> and because a lot of companies had, like, I mean, it was COVID, so a lot of people, like, around the world, um, the economy was bad. Um, so a lot of companies did tank during this time. So a lot of interns ended up being fired from their um, em- employer. Um, 
although interns aren't allowed to leave their companies, the companies are allowed to fire their interns, which, like I said, like really exacerbates the power dynamic between the two. And like I was mentioning earlier with like the kind of vagueness of Japanese legalese, um, although interns are protected under the same like Labor Standards Act as Japanese workers, um, the companies are only um, obligated to uh, like work hard to keep people employed, like try their best to keep people employed. So if the company does go under or like if they like, you know, quote unquote, hit hard times and like cannot possibly um, keep employing these people, then they can actually fire them. And although like the Japanese company that fires the interns are supposed to help help the interns find their next employer, the definition of help is kind of also very vague. Help could just mean like sending their name to like a hello work and doing nothing else. The bar for help is very low. So a lot of interns were, I guess, like in the news, like with like quite negative coverage about like how some of them were like stealing food or like were I guess like breaking the terms of their visa um to obtain food and income because they were they literally had no money and because if they get fired from their job that means they lose their status as a worker right yeah so they're still under like the intern they're still an intern um but if they remain in Japan after their intern after their intern stint is over then they become um undocumented um, what I thought was especially tough was that um, a lot of these workers, their living situations um, were also tied to their employers. So they would live in like the company dorm, basically, or company provided housing. So once they got fired from their employer, they also lost their apartment or their room or whatever, which, um, you know, just adds to the expenses of living um, because of this. The Japanese government, as of December 1st, um, began allowing uh, certain foreigners to work as like uh, arubaito, so like part-time jobs at like convenience stores and things like that. Um, they expanded like a lot of work visas to allow them to work those kinds of jobs so that they can have some money to live. Uh, but because the economy is so bad, um, I think it's very competitive to even get like a kombini type job right now because you know so many even like Japanese people are unemployed and I think with those kinds of like service industries it is very difficult for people if they can't speak Japanese or if they don't have a background in the industry it's very hard to get a job. I think sources are saying that like right now the unemployment rate is reported as three percent but it's probably closer to seven and because of COVID a lot of companies aren't hiring university like new university graduates this and next year um so that number is probably going to get higher yeah so basically because of covid a lot of them have lost their jobs and with that they have lost their homes they still right? owe the amount of money that they owe back in their home countries so they can't go back and uh i was reading some anecdotes um that i'll like link um to like our patreon and stuff but like some articles that i was read that i read were talking about like how some of these technical interns got fired from their jobs and they were like staying at their friends' houses and these like random hotels. Um, and they would try to go to work like as like a, what's called like day laborers. Like you get kind of hired on the day, get paid on the day at like ballpoint pen factories and things like that. But like after they worked there for like a day or two, like somehow their 
uh, like their government agency finds out and they're like, this is outside of your visa. You need to quit today. So it's really, you know, they're just trying to make enough money to survive for the day. But it's been very difficult. Yeah. So speaking of COVID. um... (laughs) Uh, Our next episode that we did back in back in March, uh, our third episode was Japan and the coronavirus. And our fourth one was also Japan Mm -hmm. and the coronavirus part two. And so this was back in March and April when the when COVID really, really started to hit Japan. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are now in December. (laughs) Um, I mean, I don't like, know. There's been so much yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's just like, think of the uh, worst case scenario and then like <laughs> double that. Um, um, the, whatever we said, yeah. yeah. Well, like, I guess like when you're outside of Japan, uh, <laughs> a lot of the news coverage on Japan about the coronavirus is like, uh, it it all it always gets tied up with the rest of Asia mm. in, in that it's like, oh, look how Asia was so much better at... Uh, you know, containing the virus than the West. And, you know, that's uh, true to some extent, but I don't think it's correct to in- include Japan <laughs> among those countries, mm-hmm. you know, because Japan is doing so bad. Yeah. Like, we we didn't even, our government didn't even do anything to try to contain yeah. it. It's so. not like we're doing bad because it wasn't our fault. Like, it's completely our fault or the government's fault that we're doing this bad. <laughs> yeah, and it's strange that Japan has had like a third spike when Mm -hmm. most of the other countries have only had two. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why that is. (laughs) But um, we have less numbers to begin with, but that's probably because of a number of factors. And it doesn't it doesn't have it doesn't mean that we're doing any better than any other country Mm -hmm. in the world. Um, You know, everything is messed up because they're still trying to have the Olympics <laughs> next year, even though it's like, really? Like, no one is thinking about the Olympics. Like, no one cares. Yeah. Like, we don't <laughs> care. Just stop. <laughs> um, daily cases in Tokyo, I mean, in um, March and April, were probably under under 200 or under 300 or something like that. It started to slowly increase... Um, over the couple of spikes we've had and we're now in the last week of December and it's now our daily case is now in Tokyo the last high was um 949 or something like that so uh it's gone up like you know three times yeah (laughs) um and you know back in March and April that was when we had like our state Mm -hmm. of emergency announcement uh and now we're almost at a thousand cases here in Tokyo per mm-hmm. day and there's nothing. Yeah, I can definitely say like, I mean, I think a part of the reason why we're we have like what triple the cases now is because like testing has relatively become like more relatively more accessible. Um, so I do think that there is some so, some some of the numbers can be owed to that. But that means like that means nothing has really changed, right? That means we could have had, that was probably our numbers back in March and April, too. It's just like no one was getting tested. So, yeah, no, nothing has gotten better. Yeah. So I definitely think, yeah, like the reported number is slightly higher because of that. But still, it's quite difficult to get tested. Like the way that you get tested in Japan is still the same. Like you still have to go through the same 
like hoops to get tested in Japan. Um, I think if you pay 10,000 yen, which is like 100 US dollars, you can get like private testing done. But you know, that's if you have like a spare hundred dollars lying around. So it's still that like, you know, only rich people can get tested. And those who actually need to get tested, like the essential workers who are probably like working class, they can't get tested because, you know, they don't have money to pay for testing. And so, yeah, our testing is not made readily available. And so that's still our situation. Yeah, do you want to talk about GoTo? <laughs> oh god. Um Who okay? So, let's let's explain GoTo cuz I think like the concept is so out of this world. Well, okay. So, unlike the rest of the world <laughs> during coronavirus, Japan uh went the other way <laughs> and promoted domestic travel during COVID because they were like, "Oh, we need to stimulate the economy and we need people to use uh money which fine yes like that's that's true like you need to stimulate the economy but the economy is made of people so if your people die you have no economy and so it's like so they prioritize the economy over human lives and hospitals and um hokenjo that are being mm-hmm. like run over um because they have like no money and no resources and they're asking for a lot of help but they're not getting any money from the government and like hospitals have had to do like crowdfunding um <laughs> because they have no money and like none of they're not getting any help from prefectural governments or like the federal government or anything yeah and Japan's healthcare is public yeah they shouldn't have to crowdsource and i think um our hospitals are starting to really be overrun and um our our healthcare system is probably going to collapse soon uh and yeah the state of the medical industry is like really really bad right now because they're not getting any help from the government um a lot of the um hospital workers are being like overworked like for long long hours and um during this crisis they lost their they had their like bonuses cut and their pay also cut and so they're working for longer longer hours but their pay is getting cut like their pay is getting um cut lower and so a lot of the nurses are like oh we can't take this anymore and they've they're starting to like quit um because it's that's how bad it is like they can't keep going uh but anyway the go to yeah, <laughs> uh while our hospi- while our hospitals are being uh, overrun the government chose to promote domestic travel uh which means that so how it works is that um oh there was mm-hmm. two types of it right there was go to travel and there was go to eat so you get to travel and eat at restaurants great <laughs> yeah i actually had to experience it because oh, yeah. of a job that i was on yeah uh because we had to stay at a hotel um so what it is is if you stay at a hotel i guess it's mm-hmm. like a little bit cheaper or it's made a lot cheaper because of this go to thing it's like a mm-hmm. discount for staying at a hotel and then once i got to the hotel they were like oh here are your go to eat coupons and then that's also like another discount that you get mm-hmm. for like eating outside um and so this was this was how you were going to stimulate the economy um but the thing is like what this does really is it just helps the hotels and the restaurants that are mm, more yeah. high end and cost a lot more money rather than 
the ho- the hotels and like the dyokang and like a bunch of the smaller restaurants mm-hmm. that needed more help because they were you know shutting down because mm-hmm. they weren't getting a lot of customers and so you know because if you had a discount ticket you're going to go use it on like a mm-hmm. more expensive hotel and a more expensive restaurant than like another restaurant or a hotel mm-hmm. that you can already afford right and so you know it just helped like the hiltons mm-hmm. and the ritz carltons and the bigger hotels um and not the st- and, and not the places that were actually yeah. needing help yeah like another thing about like the way like the go to is like I guess, like, created is, like, for example, you can buy, like, a coupon that's worth $120 with $100. But, like, you have to have $100 to begin with to buy the $120 coupon. So the only people going on these trips are rich people who can afford to take time off during a pandemic, who can afford the $100 to get $120. So... Again, like, yes, like the Hiltons and the Ritz Cultures are also the ones getting rich, but like the people who go on these kinds of trips or who have the resources to go on these trips aren't going to stay at like a business hotel that's 3,000 yen a night. Like, they're used to staying at some like Ritz Carlton Hilton type place. And also, like, the go to campaign was very hard to understand when it first rolled out. Like, I. I, I don't know it was re- yeah like I didn't know how it worked I didn't know like how like me as a normal person could use it so like the people who have the resources and time to like actually resource uh, re- research it are also people with like a certain amount of resources as well and a family friend was telling me that like because the hotels were so vacant they were already discounting the rooms like on their own like with like what's it called like regulating it and like within the private market um, rather than like having government assistance. So like staying at a hotel room through GoTo and through like the regular hotel discount was about the same amount of like discount in the end. So really like this GoTo was like iranai, like <laughs> like the quote unquote, like the market regulated itself. So like we didn't need this. And also another part of it is that the people who came up with this GoTo campaign is the current administration. So it's the Jiminto, right? And one of the top leaders of the Jiminto is this guy called Nikai. And Nikai, he's the Jiminto Kanjicho, which is like the secretary. He's very uh, tied to the travel industry. Basically, he gets money from the travel industry to like serve their interests. And so that's one of the reasons why Jiminto decided to promote travel during COVID <laughs> instead of helping out the hospitals and people who are actually needing help. I mean, it's really obvious, you know, they're just serving their own interests. Yeah. Even at a time like this. The GoTo budget was about 15 billion. So yes, GoTo got cut short. But like I said, we were, the hotel industry was already discounting on its own. But we decided to throw 15 billion at this so that rich people could go to the Ritz instead of the Hilton. Um, instead of giving any of this money to hospitals or giving any additional stimulus. Or you could have insured the restaurant industry, which is like a whole nother topic. <laughs> um, so like we, ta- we talked in our previous episodes, the Japanese constitution doesn't really have enforcing powers of like a shutdown or like a more stringent state of emergency. So... Um, all these restaurants and businesses were uh, like recommended to close, um, which basically means like the government isn't responsible for any of the revenue lost during this time because the business 
uh, voluntarily closed. So a lot of what's it called uh, volunteer voluntary closure. Um, we've had a few voluntary closures, and the latest one was between um, like end of November and mid December. Um, obviously, a lot of the people who are affected by this are like smaller um, izakaya, which is kind of like a bar or a pub and like small restaurants. And um, as a consequence, a lot of the workers who work at those places, um, which tend to be women or um, other like working class people, um, get their hours cut. So that like really affects those people. Um, um, but basically in Japan, um, like Christmas is like a pretty big holiday, but like the new year is probably like the biggest holiday of the year when a lot of companies and like different social organizations do this thing called Bonenkai and Shinnenkai, which is um, like a party to like forget the year and then a party to greet the new year. And a lot of these pubs and places, um, a lot of their kind of revenue for the year depends on these parties that get booked at this time of the year. So while yes, like they don't want their restaurant to become a place where people get COVID, but also like if they don't get their revenue guaranteed during this like December time, it's a really big hit for their like yearly budget. So um, yeah, the government, while is you know, asking businesses to shorten their hours, they also aren't um, supporting them um, in any way, which has been I think very, very tough. If you haven't been depressing enough already, we can keep going. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone is back, really back to their normal shenanigans. Like the a lot of the companies, <laughs> their workers are going back to, into work. Uh, they're mm. not doing teleworking anymore. Um, some companies still are, but most of them aren't. Um, you know, people are still going about their daily lives. Um, I think I think partly because the government is not taking this seriously, um, mm-hmm. and he, and also like yeah. the government politicians themselves are also going out to dinners when they're when they've told mm-hmm. us not to like go outside uh, um, and meet more than like five people at a time or something like that and. Or meet three mm-hmm. people at a time. But then Suga went on like a dinner party with like five of his friends, and like Nikai also <laughs> went out with like eight people. And it's like they're not taking it seriously, so the rest of the country is not taking it seriously either. And so that's how the virus spreads. <laughs> uh, when are we getting the vaccine? Any news on that? So uh, Pfizer applied with the Japanese, basically, FDA. But they're not, they probably won't be approved or no decision will be made until February. Uh, so right now they're saying February. So let's assume that it'll happen in March. And then, um, but right now the plan is to start vaccinating 3 million people in March. But there's 30 to 40 million people over 65. And then what? I know, however many like medical people we still have left at that point. Um it's it's a very slow process. Um, Why is it so slow? Um, well, I think I didn't look as much into this, but Japan has like a really uh, like long history with vaccines and kind of a more um, what's it called like a more conservative approach to vaccines in general. And also, the Japanese FDA, um, for better or for worse, is quite uh, strict. So it's it's it has a lot more hoops to jump through, and then also. I mean, we talked about this in our like movie episode and yeah, we've talked about this in our movie episode, but there's not really anybody who wants to just like take the reins and be like, I'll take responsibility for this change. So a lot of other countries like the US, for example, they like somebody from like the FDA was like, 
you know, we're just going to make a bunch of exceptions. And like, you know, if the Pfizer vaccine flops, I'll take responsibility. But like, this is bigger than that. Um, while like in Japan, when it comes to those kinds of like executive decisions or like big decisions, there aren't that many people who are willing to take responsibility for any exceptions. So I mean, I mean, uh, once it's approved, they'll probably uh, go to the hospital, hospitals first, then all the old people who are most of the old people, or who are most of the people in Japan, and then it'll be the rest of the population. So yeah, maybe we'll get it. I mean, I heard we were getting it in the summer. Yeah, maybe. And you know, when when they're still trying to do the Olympics, like you'd think that you'd get the vaccine situated first. Yeah. Um, so that people can move around freely. But um, yeah, we might get it next fall. Mm. Like they're just gonna yeah vaccinate the athletes and like so like nobody from like other countries gets sick. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, like you said, the one good thing is that the vaccine will be free. For everyone, um, they just passed that law mm. the other day. Um, it was a unanimous decision, so that's good. Well, now there's that um, new strain of coronavirus uh-huh. from yeah. England. Oh. Um, and then, so you know how Japan, and it's like, and it's like more contagious or whatever. Mm. Uh, and so Japan has closed their borders mm. to all the countries except for Japanese citizens who are returning. And okay, so mm. it's so stupid because they didn't stop Japanese people from England from coming over, and now there's like five people with that new strain of coronavirus in Japan <laughs> from England who got it. It's like good job. Yeah, it's not like if you're Japanese, you're immune to <laughs> this or COVID in general. But yeah, so that so yeah. now there's a new travel restrictions mm. until yeah. until the end of January, right? So like yeah, yeah, I know it's effective starting today, which is like. Uh, December 28th. Um, I'm not so sure when it's supposed to run till, but yeah, probably sometime in January. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's said at end mm-hmm. of January, so. I just, like, everything from, like, these, like, contracts that we were talking about and, like, all these, like, COVID measures, there's just so much, like, thrown on to the individual where they're, like, you, like, you take responsibility for this. And, like, I don't know, like, I see all these, like, articles where it's, like, these, company employees are like told to apologize to their company for getting covid and it's like yeah that's ridiculous when i got yeah 本当に, like state like what like like i'm sure people feel that way in other countries but like yes like i like japan but like <laughs> i wouldn't want to pay taxes to this country <laughs> especially since our taxes are getting used for stupid things like the olympics so sakura mirukai like part seven <laughs> all right that's our covid situation yeah it's our covid situation um i'm i'm really scared about this new year's the upcoming new year's because everyone's going home it's like sort of more ridiculous though. like people are like are just clubbing right now what yeah i see so many instagram stories of like people at like Ageha. are you serious <laughs> it's so bizarre i'm seeing some people go to like really small venues for live shows <laughs> and i'm like that's really dangerous like why would you do that but anyway i don't know why people do what they do yeah, <sighs> yeah. okay well that's enough coronavirus talk <laughs> let's move on to the next episode the next episode yeah not episode mm. five the party's japanese politics part one 
Um, a few updates from politics. Um, uh, we have a new prime <laughs> minister since yeah. w- since we did the political parties episode. Um, it used to be Abe, but mm-hmm. now it's uh, Yoshihide Suga Yoshihide, um, who is doing really bad. Uh, we basically mm-hmm. said that he's like a pawn. No one really cares about him. Yeah, he's just like a figurehead. Um, it could have been anyone really. Mm-hmm. Uh, just needed just needed a yes man. So that's what Suga is. Uh, and we also said that the Democratic Party. So on the in the opposition now, um, the Democratic Party for the People split and they merged with the Constitutional Democratic Party. And so the CDP is now the biggest, or it, mm-hmm. it already wa- it already was the biggest, but it's now become bigger by a few members. Um, Tamaki Uchiro, I think, is still. Tamaki Yuchiro and friends are still in the Democratic Party for the People. Um, not all of them merged. I think CDP wanted every, everyone to merge, but that didn't happen. And another update is the um, Shaminto, the SDP, the Social Democratic Party. Uh, they are. They had a couple of members in the Diet, but now they're done. Now they're down to two people. Uh, including the party head Fukushima Mizuho, so it's her and this one other party member or one other Diet member who are still a part of the Shaminto from within the Diet uh, Congress or within the Diet members. I think she lost mm-hmm. two of her members to the Constitutional Democratic Party recently, uh, and it's because uh, the CDP is really, really starting to mm-hmm. try to merge together into like a one single party. Um, yeah. But uh, to to you know to combat the LDP coalition, but they're not doing too well. Like the talks aren't going too well. Like within the party. Not not within the party. The talks between, like, for example, the DPFP and the CDP, mm. and the talks between CDP and the Shaminto, they're not doing. They're not going so well because uh, with the SDP, uh, Fukushima Mizuho, and like um, Eda Noikyo, who is the leader of the CDP, are mm. like having different opinions about the merger, and so they're not they're not able to merge completely, <laughs> you know, um, and they're not they're not being they're not able to. Neither of them are like agreeing on the merger and like the conditions of the merger, so they're not being able to um, work together too well. So, mm. so then what this does is it just makes the other two parties like smaller and the CDP a little bit bigger. Mm. But so, I mean, the party, the makeup of the party hasn't really changed. Like all the parties are still there, but. Uh, the numbers are dwindling, and the mm-hmm. CDP is a little bit bigger now. I think Eda no Yukio is really trying to consolidate the opposition mm-hmm. so that they don't seem as divided. But right. to me, they still seem pretty divided, mm. <laughs> considering that the mergers aren't going too well. Right. But anyway, we will see how this plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was a little update from the political section. Um. Mm. So we can move on. We did episode seven was on Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. and the limits of protesting in Japan, and then uh, episode nine was abolish Nyukan with justice for Patachang, and we talked about Patachang, who was um, held in the Tokyo Nyukan detention center for mm-hmm. a little over a year, and she got out on provisional release. 
but is mm-hmm. a cutty home man, but is still living a very very tough life because you can't work on you can't work on cutty home man. like you can't leave the prefecture it's like a you know it's just like from one limbo to like another like you don't your time is limited on cutty home man. like it's not like a real visa Patojan, um, as we saw, said in our episode, like has family here, so she really wants to stay here. But being on Kadi Homen, that future is also not secured, um, and because she can't work, she is completely dependent on her family and like other donations. Yeah, so if you want to like keep learning about Patojan and like the other people who are kept in the Nyukan or are on provisional release, we'll like uh, link um, Nami's. Um, and other and other activists' uh, social media accounts um, below, so you can donate if you want to, and or follow um, any updates on protests or news and things like that. If it's yeah, if it's in Japan, it'll really help if if you are able to go to these demonstrations. The kanji um, Yeah. So, Ms. How was your twenty twenty? <laughs> um, it was bad. <laughs> uh, but I'm alive, at least. Yeah, you're alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How's yours? Mine? Um, <laughs> you went through a lot, man. Yeah, 2020 sucked. There was a lot. Yeah, I really wish <laughs> this was... We were, we're just we're just going to erase 2020. We're doing 2020 over again next week. Like, 2020 shokyo. Like, we're just deleting that file. I mean, I talked about this in my in the first pilot episode too, but like, I mean, I came back to Japan wanting to, I guess, get to know Japan more. Um, and this past year has really, uh, there's a word in Japanese called tsukang, which means like you feel it because it hurts or like you, it's like a hurting feeling. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so Nihon wo tsukang shimashita. I felt, I felt Japan in a, as a pain like <laughs> it's um yes it's painful yeah but i guess i'm also aware like you know i get to stay at home like i don't have like a job that forces me out of the home i don't have to go outside of my home if i don't have to i have a family that supports me um so like while yes it has been very frustrating in a lot of ways um i know it's kind of made me real reevaluate a lot of things so my my trying try, really trying to keep it positive i guess it was a year of quote-unquote growth but like i don't know like for what like i don't know if the growth was necessary <laughs> yeah i think we're all really glad that this year is over not that anything will change next year but yeah <laughs> but yeah thank you so much for a good 2020 um yeah thank you for listening to us this year yeah yeah thank you for listening to us this year (laughs) we started out really rough but (laughs) (laughs) um hopefully we can continue this next year too so Mm, so yeah thank you miss for doing this with me it's been really fun and educational (laughs) if anything we can say we started our podcast in 2020 and that was one accomplishment (laughs) yeah like I mean, I think, like, yeah, this year has just been a bunch of just, like, oh my god, like, like everything that I wanted has, like, been put on the back burner, except for this podcast. Like, this podcast has been the only thing. Oh. <laughs> Alright, with that, let us end our last episode of 2020. Fudge, 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 fudge. <laughs> Alright, have a great New Year's, everyone. See you in 2021. Yeah, yo, yo, to see you. Yo, yo, to see you.
Thank you for listening to Plus 8-1. Plus 8-1 is hosted by me, Alicia. And me, Mizuki. You can find us on Instagram at Plus 8-1, that's P-L-U-S 8-1.pod, and on Twitter at Plus 8-1 underscore pod, that's again, P-L-U-S 8-1 underscore pod. You can email us any questions and comments at plus81.pod at gmail.com. 